0: So this is the time in the service where I tell you how great it is to be with you this week. But if I told you that this week I'm really excited to be with you, I wouldn't be totally honest. I wish Pastor Chris was here tonight. Pastor Chris Hartley is uh, the Congregational Life Pastor at our East Campus here at Triumph. And I, and I was so looking forward to uh, That those of you that worship at our West campus and those of you that have just kind of gotten to know us online, would you have a chance to hear Pastor Chris preach tonight? Uh, I stopped in towards the end of last week and, and he was preparing. He said, he said, Jeff, I am so excited to share what God has given me on Wednesday night. But he's not here. And it's uh, so appropriate and 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 even amazing that as we're in a series on Joseph that talks about the unpredictability of life, and at times things happening that we don't understand why, that uh, we uh, are, are mourning with Pastor Chris tonight and his wife Lissa. Um, they got a call on Monday night that her uh, brother Jason had been uh, been killed in a motorcycle accident, and it just took them, of course by surprise. So Chris and Lissa and their kids, Isabel and, and Grant, uh, got in the car and drove through the night and headed back home to Iowa to do what families do. Sometimes when, when life is what life is and, and, and we, we, we don't understand, still love is what love is and we go where we're needed. So we're thinking of uh, of Pastor Chris and and Lissa and and their family tonight as we're um, as we're gathered. Now um, we are going to get a little taste of Pastor Chris. Um, he's he's the. Probably the most creative of, of the pastors on staff. He was an art teacher and loved junior high kids, so you just kind of go with that. And so when he thought of summarizing the life of Joseph uh, up to this point, I mean, like, I would never think of this, all right? But it's awesome. So we've been uh, several weeks in the, in the life of Joseph, beginning in chapter 37. And, uh, and, and, and this is how Pastor Chris summarized the life of Joseph. I'll walk through uh, the facts, and you can just kind of enjoy the emojis. Uh, we meet Joseph at the beginning of chapter 37 and learn quickly that he's the favorite of Jacob's 12 sons. And it's not hard to tell which one is Joseph, because his dad has blessed him with this ornate robe that sets him apart from his brothers. And his brothers hate him for it. And and more than that, God gave Joseph two incredible dreams that made his brothers hate him even more with a toxic jealousy. So as his brothers are processing this this toxic hatred and jealousy towards their brother, they come up with a plan. They throw him in a cistern or a pit as they're deciding what to do with him, plotting to take his life. So he goes from being favorite son to in the pits, literally. Now, uh, God has mercy on him, and, and, he, and he is not uh, killed by his brothers. In fact, uh, he is taken out of the pit, not for noble reasons, but because a, a caravan of, 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 of slave traders is passing by on the way to Egypt, and Joseph is now uh, uh, sold as a slave in Egypt. Now, it could be worse, because the one who bought him happened to be a high-ranking official in the pharaoh's court. He was the director of security or head of security. His name was Potiphar, and he really got to like Joseph. In fact, Joseph became his favorite slave and and overseer in his household. It could have been worse, and actually, it, it got worse. We are told, and I quote Genesis, that Joseph was well built and handsome. And this this did not go uh, uh, without being noticed by Potiphar's wife, who set out to seduce him. And uh, Joseph would have no part of that. She was very angry, and she accused him of trying to take advantage of her. And so Joseph is thrown in prison. And we see this pattern in in Joseph's early life. He's in Egypt as a 17-year-old, and he's spending his early 20s in this pattern of going from the pinnacle to the pit, so to speak. While he's in prison, however, um, he, he, he... Gets the catches the favor of, of the warden of the prison, and he becomes again respected, kind of the the favorite prisoner, so to speak, in in uh, in the dungeon where where he is serving, which which is which is a good deal, kind of. But uh, he is he is placed then. His role in the prison is to attend to two men who had fallen out of favor of uh, of the. Of the Pharaoh himself, and and these—can you imagine that a powerful world leader would all of a sudden get upset with some of those who are working for him and just fire them? <laughs> it happens, <laughs> and and more than just fire them, these men are, are are sent to the dungeon where they come into contact with Joseph, and that's where our story begins tonight. So I'm going to be reading Genesis chapter four. 40 as this amazing story of life taking twists and turns that we don't expect and often don't understand, and in the process discover that God is faithful when life is unpredictable. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 40, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meeting of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in the master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams." So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head up, "'and restore you to your position. "'And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand "'just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. "'But when all goes well with you, remember me,' Joseph said, "'and show me kindness. "'Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. "'I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, "'and even here I have done nothing to deserve "'being put in the dungeon.' And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the cup of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. So that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wow. So we see another rise and another fall in the life of Joseph. This week, we're thinking about this story, which isn't a real complicated story. Again, like we have seen before in Joseph's story, and we will see again, dreams play a role as God is intervening. In, in the life of Joseph. Although Joseph will not receive the dreams this time. Last time he did that, he made his brothers really mad and got himself into all kinds of trouble. But this time, God will actually, because God can do this, God would give dreams to two pagan officials. And God would use those pagan dreams in his plan for the future. Of course, none of this is obvious to Joseph at the time. And Joseph would have the opportunity, in light of these two dreams, to reveal, again, the presence and glory of God in his life. These men were imper- apparently important because uh, they were given Joseph to, to kind of tend to them in the, in the uh, dungeon that, where they all lived. Now, we see something about Joseph here that is, is encouraging, we see that in the midst of this of this kind of roller coaster of, of hope and disappointment and hope and disappointment. We see Joseph is maturing. We met him when he was 17 and honestly quite full of himself or, or so it seemed. But after what he has been through... We see now that, in fact, we have heard numerous times during his his life in Egypt that with all this going on, there was this constant, God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. We, We heard that four times. God was not only with Joseph, he was working in Joseph. He was with Joseph, working in Joseph. In situations like where God often does his work in the lives of his children, in situations we would not have chosen, but later see the value. We see something really encouraging here. Joseph is taking interest in these men who are of a different nationality. The Egyptians were very proud, and they were very, shall we say, condescending to the Hebrew people. Like today, we have racial tension that's a part of the fall. That's part of this story, too. And yet, somehow, there was a relationship that crossed that barrier with these two as this young Hebrew slave is tending to them. And rather than being bitter and hard hearted, he actually has compassion on these powerful men who have these dreams. He says, Why are you so sad today? He asked how they were doing, and they told him about the dreams. So we see in Joseph now, he is is not quite as self-centered as when we first met him. We see him looking outside of himself to others, but we also see a a humility that is beautiful too. When Joseph had uh, the dreams from God that, that, uh, by the way, these dreams infuriated his brothers because they were these images of his brothers one day bowing down to him. We'll hear more about that later. Joseph spoke nothing of God. When, when, when he shared those dreams. But now, as he listens to the dreams of these two men who seem to be in trouble, Joseph makes clear that the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Aren't dreams amazing, really? I mean, some of you probably dream more than others. I mean, do you dream a lot? Or do you not dream very often? Do you dream in black and white or color? I still don't know and I've been around for a long time, right? Do you remember your dreams in the morning? There are times where I'll wake up out of that lucid state and I'm having this really fun dream and I can't wait to tell Kathy and I'll take a shower and I'll come out and I'll I'll not remember the dream (laughs) that I just had. Yeah, dreams are interesting. We're told that our brain uses dreams to kind of organize and make sense of the events perhaps of the previous day or the things we're dealing with. We're reminded that God not only watches over us and is active in the circumstances of our waking hours, but even in our sleeping hours. As a child, many uh, prayed this prayer. Maybe you did, I did. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. You know, the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated that prayer. The more I've realized that at this stage in my life that sometimes sleep is a little elusive. And sometimes it seems like the enemy of our soul can really pick on us at night during that time we're coming in and out of dreams or whatever. What a a comfort to know that we can pray, God, keep my soul tonight. There are times that I've literally been going through a stressful time when I kind of know what the night could be, and so I'll pray. Like in the morning, we pray for the day ahead, in the evening to pray for the night ahead. Some dreams are really pleasant and fun, and some aren't. As we see in the the story of these two men, one had a really good dream, but one dream was really not good. God was intervening. He's sovereign over all. Even, of course, uh, 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 the the dream life of these men. So Joseph steps in. He's maturing. God is with Joseph. God is working in Joseph. And, and, And we see Joseph then share with these men um, what What God gave him in terms of the interpretation of of their dreams the cup the cupbearer is delighted he 's going to get his life back the way that he knew it at least that 's what Joseph told him and of course the baker that 's not so much his story we don 't know what they had did we don 't know what they had done, we know Pharaoh was powerful, and maybe it doesn 't matter, but at his birthday party, these guys would discover their destiny just as Joseph said. Now, the pivotal point of this story really isn't the two dreams. At least as as I spent time kind of uh, uh, reflecting and meditating on this part of of Joseph's story, it was two words that really stuck out to me. It was those simple words that Joseph said to the chief cupbearer, remember me. Remember me. Joseph's faith had him convinced that that man would soon be back in a place of influence and power. He would be right next to the Pharaoh. He would be ensuring not only the quality but the security of Pharaoh's wine. What a job. It tasted a lot of good wine, but you were there to make sure that if it was poisoned, it wasn't going to get to Pharaoh. It would stop anyway. What a job. But he had access to Pharaoh. He was trusted by Pharaoh. And Joseph... Knew this, So he asked him, when the time is right, remember me. I've been treated unjustly here. I don't deserve what is happening. Tell Pharaoh my story. That's understandable. Justice matters. Joseph had been treated unjustly. But again, the pivot point in this story is that last verse. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember. Joseph, he forgot him. He forgot him. It's easy for us to kind of pile on to the mistakes of people in the narrative. So much of the, God's word to us is narrative and stories, and, and if we're prone to admire a certain quality in people, we admire them in those stories. If we're kind of judgy about other people's weaknesses, yeah, we do that too. So how could, how could uh, uh, the cupbearer forget about Joseph after what Joseph had done to encourage him? Well, how can we forget? When we get busy, when, when, when we get preoccupied, when we get distracted, it's easy, it's easy to forget. The cupbearer forgot. But it wasn't easy for Joseph to live with this. And I wonder, and I, I can't say this is what the text says, but in my experience in my life and in walking with others, you almost wonder when something that, that happens like this, if it's not deeper than someone forgot about me, but wondering if God has forgotten about me. (laughs) Has God forgotten about me? You know, God can be as close as he is, and yet there's times when we wonder. God is sovereign over Joseph's life. I was thinking about that. We've called this Joseph's story, but it's really God's story, and we're focusing on Joseph's episode or Joseph's chapter if I was uh, able to nominate Academy Awards for actors in the Bible or, 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 or characters in the Bible, I'd nominate Joseph for a best supporting actor. But he is not the main character. The main character is God himself. The main character in your story is a believer is God himself. The main character on the stage of history, both biblical history before Christ and after Christ, And now as we are living into the days that Jesus talked about, those last days, we don't know how long they will be, he is still the main character. He is still the one that that we focus on. And this is helpful because when we look to a story like Joseph, we could be um, somehow confused into thinking that the point is to try to be like Joseph. There are certainly things that we see in his life that are commendable. But like us, He struggled with sin. How does God relate to us in the midst of our frailty? Remember me, the chief cupbearer for God. He's standing in the presence of Pharaoh who could change Joseph's destiny, but he didn't remember Joseph. Those words ring a bell. Remember me? Remember me? If you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you remember that Jesus heard those words very near his own death on the cross. (laughs) In fact, very near to the cross himself. In fact, they were spoken by a criminal who was, like Jesus, hanging on a cross moments away from death. In that moment, We see God's grace at work in a powerful way as this criminal turns to Jesus and says these two words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I know that's more than two words, but I'm focusing on those two words, remember me. Somehow, he had faith to believe that the one that was dying next to him would one day be in the, in the courtroom of heaven. That he would be king however he, however he understood Jesus' kingship. That if that, that there was hope in Jesus, he did not ask for justice. In fact, he said, you know, <laughs> I'm getting justice. I'm getting what my deeds deserve. What he asked for was Mercy. And his request was directed in the absolute best direction. Jesus, remember me. Cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Joseph lived with that. Would Jesus forget? As Jesus would be in the throne room of heaven with access to the Father himself... Would he remember this criminal's cry for mercy? Which would change not only the last moments of his life, he would die having received a promise from Jesus. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Would Jesus keep that promise? Would he remember the one who asked for mercy? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the power of story. For the power of this true story. We thank you for the power of contrast. The story of Joseph, those words, remember me, were filled with hope and met with profound disappointment. But we thank you for the way that you are. That as we turn to you in our need, not asking for justice, Oh, if you treated us according to our iniquities, Lord, who can stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, there is mercy. Father, as we continue in this fascinating uh, time of reflecting on the life of Joseph, we thank you for what we're learning. We thank you for the way that you've been at work in his life, preparing for his future. God, we, we ask that you would give us a sense of your presence and some of us even here uh, at this point in our lives are dealing with uh, with perhaps the disappointment of, of feeling like we've been forgotten. Maybe even dealing with um, wondering where you are in the midst of, of what we're dealing with. We thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness in the past. We thank you for the way it feeds our faith. We thank you for the Assurance that you are with us in our waiting. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever. Perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. We love you, Lord. Thanks for your mercy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.